morning, everyone. Uh, if you can't tell, my voice is uh, less than ideal. I lost it earlier this week on Tuesday, and uh, thankfully my job requires no communication. Uh, so all week long in meetings and everything, I tried to labor through it. And uh, this is actually sounding much better than it was earlier. Uh, so you'll just have to uh, bear with. It probably sounds uh, more weird out there than it does like in here. Um, but regardless, uh, we're going to jump in uh, to Ephesians this morning. I'm really excited about what we're going to be looking at. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. And um, I'm just going to pray again that just God would uh, give us ears to hear and give my voice strength to make it through. Let's pray. God, we are eager to hear from you. We believe your word is powerful. It's authoritative. It teaches us. It corrects us. It uh, encourages us. And uh, we pray that it might do that this morning. Uh, Give my voice uh, strength, um, but um, use your word uh, even more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, many of you, I'm sure, have heard the phrase, uh, the little things matter. Uh, we, we say that often, right? Like the little things make a significant difference, that each action you take, each decision you make uh, is important, carries weight to it. Uh, recently, some uh, research has been done by Columbia University, and uh, what they determined was that in an average day, a normal average person makes about 70 conscious decisions a day. 70 conscious decisions. Now, we know that uh, we're constantly making decisions unconsciously uh, without thinking about it. We just kind of um, happen through life and we make decisions quite frequently. But in terms of like knowledgeable, conscious, determined choices, on average we make about 70 a day. Now that could be small decisions like what to eat or drink. Uh, It could be uh, who do you interact with, talk to, uh, who do you not. what to wear, decisions about work or email, uh, the list goes on and on. And while some of us, I think, are making maybe more than 70, uh, and some of us are making less, on average, we're making about 70 conscious decisions a day. That, for all of you mathematicians, comes out to about 25,550 decisions a year. And uh, if you have the good fortune of living for about 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions that are made over the course of your lifetime. That is why people say things like, your life is the sum of your choices. That your life is an accumulation of the decisions you make. Regardless of how small they seem, regardless of how insignificant they might feel, That your life is an expression of your choices. Your life is simply a culmination. And that's why all the little things matter. What you decide, how you act, your thoughts and feelings, your motivations, those things all have significant outcomes because they impact the decisions you make. I heard it said a while ago, that it has long been an axiom of mine that the little things are infinitely the most important. That the little decisions we make, the little actions we take, are infinitely the most important. That every decision you take carries significance. And you understand this because we talk about it a lot. We say things like, um, actions define us. 
I think it was Aristotle who said, we are what we repeatedly do. You do it again and again and you become that. We are but what we repeatedly do. We also know that actions matter in terms of eternity. And we speak of that, especially in the Christian world. We say that the very decisions you make count for eternity. Uh, And all of us that have seen the movie Gladiator know when he says, whatever you do in this life echoes in eternity. And we're like, yes, right. Um, And we also do that with... uh, with people, we recognize that people notice our choices, and so we say things like, uh, be, you know, beware of what you decide because people are watching. And these are things we cognitively talk about quite a bit, but in all of my growing up in the church, in all of my interaction about choices and decisions and little things matter, I never once heard anyone teach, or I never once heard anyone share the importance to the level that we're going to be looking at it today. What I mean by that is um, we hear about it at a certain level, but what I think Paul is describing today is the rich complexity with the decisions we make and the actions we take. That there is this profound level of significance to what we do, and we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're just going to look at one verse today. Ephesians 3.10, it's our only verse for the morning. It's all within the context of verses 1 through 13, but we're specifically just going to look at one verse, verse 10. And uh, instead of reading it all at once, I'm going to read it little section by section and explain it really quick and then give you the rest of the context. So it starts out, and Paul says this in verse 10, so that, right, anytime you come across this in the text, you might ask the question, why is it there? What is the purpose? What is it trying to say? And in this particular case, what Paul is doing in verses 1 through 9 is he's talking about the mystery that's been revealed to him. And he he brings up the term mystery a couple times, and he says, there's a mystery that you need to know that's now been made available to me that I'm sharing with you. And so there's this clear picture. And what Paul says is there's two things that kind of make up the mystery. The first thing is that the Jews and the Gentiles are together in the church. That's like one big idea that he shares. We talked about it last week in chapter 2. He then says the second thing, and that is, it is the mystery that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now that technically is in Colossians chapter 1, which in many ways echoes what happens in Ephesians. And both of those ideas he describes as the mystery. And both of them are found in Ephesians chapter 2. So in light of the context, what he's saying is this. It is profound and quite shocking that the Jew and the Gentile would be together in one church. That regardless of racial and ethnic differences, regardless of economic differences, social and political differences, cultural decisions, in light of all of those things, yet Christ breaks down the dividing wall and there's this ability to be together in one church, to love one another deeply, and that is a profound mystery. That that which was only for the people of Israel has been opened up to all people. And we've all been invited in. That's mystery number one. Mystery number two is that it is also shocking that Christ would decide to have the Spirit dwell within the people of the church. That we would be, as Ephesians 2 says, the temple together collectively The Spirit of God resides and dwells within the temple, which is us, the church. Again, shocking. 
So he says, so that. Then he goes on to say, through the church. So that through the church. Now, last week, if you remember, we said the church is not a place where. In our culture, we often look at the church as a place where you meet, a place where services happen, a place where you go to gather. That's not the intention that Paul is getting after. Paul is talking to about the church as a people who. A people who love, a people who serve, a people who are in unity, a people who follow Jesus and his teaching, a people who, and the list goes on and on, right? Or a people who do certain things. And again, when Paul's writing, he's not thinking about it individualistically. He doesn't, he's not saying Daniel is a people who, or he is the church. What he's saying is it's collective, that you collectively are the church. Now, it is also true that as an individual, you're a member of the church, right? So it's both communal and individualistic, but primarily communal first. And the idea is that he's making the mystery known through the church, and what he's making known is the manifold wisdom of God, which is the third part of the verse, which really just simply means multi-layered, multifaceted. The technical Greek term would be multicolored. It's varied, different, expressive, a variety. It's like a rainbow of colors. And he's describing that this wisdom of God is pretty elaborate and varied and different. He then says that that wisdom might be made known, which very simply is that it might be demonstrated. It might be experienced or understood or felt in some particular way. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now we're just going to pause there for a moment. This is the shocking part. This is the part that, like for me, it's hard to wrap my head around. What he is saying is that it is God's intent to make known through the church, using you and I, the church local and universal, to make known through the church the wisdom of God to the heavenly beings. Not to the person next door, not to the man down the street, not to the person you go to school with. Those people, yes. But beyond that, to make known this wisdom to the angelic beings, to the whole universe of the cosmos, To make known the wisdom of God to the spiritual forces. I mean, that is just a staggering idea. And so our verse as a whole is this. You'll see it on the screen. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So you might ask the question, what does this exactly mean? What is Paul getting at? And this morning we want to look at that. I think what Paul is saying right away is he's teaching that through the broken and dysfunctional church, through a group of people who are frayed, that are cracked, that aren't all that we're intended to be, that he shows the variety and the complexity of his wisdom. Again, not just to anyone, but to the entire universe to all the spiritual forces, to all the heavenly beings. He's saying that through our unified love, 
through our ability to be forgiving with one another, through our long-sufferingness, through our ability to include others, through our fellowship between people who have nothing in common, through our ability to live at peace with one another, through our purity with other people, that through all these things and many more, that these are signs of God's wisdom that he's making known to the universe. John Piper described it this way. He said, the cosmic mission of the church is to display before the hosts of heaven the manifold wisdom of God. You are the light of the world, but not merely that. You are the light of the cosmos with the spectacular mission of revealing the wisdom of God to supernatural beings. What he's saying is that the church, it is through the church that angels and heavenly beings can more fully grasp the redemption of God. It is only through the church that they might more fully understand the complexity of God's love for us of his overwhelming plan of redemption, of his inclusion of all people into his kingdom, that it should blow our mind, but what it's saying is that the church matters still. The church has great importance. That we collectively and we individually matter in terms of what it is we do and how it is we live. Chappelle goes on to say this, the heavenly hosts are to look at those of us in the church with all of our sin, differing personalities, cultural prejudices, and color differences, and say, how did God do that? How did he get such different and disagreeable creatures together in one body to praise him? The manifold wisdom of the creator God is great. Just as Paul's sin makes the grace of God more apparent The uniting of sinners in the body of Christ makes the grace of God more brilliant, even to the hosts of the heaven. By our unity in Christ's body, the church, we are preaching to the angels about the power, wisdom, and glory of the God who made us. I mean, this is a profound calling. This is a huge responsibility, that your very actions, our very actions, our intentions, the way we love one another, the decisions we make, the small little acts of grace, that all of that is making known to the entire world and to the universe, the glory of God. If you have ever thought to yourself at some point, man, my actions really matter for my neighbor, my actions really matter for my classmate. They really matter for my coworker. That's all good, but you're selling yourself far short of where your actions truly matter. He's saying, all that's really good. All that's great, but listen, this, your actions make the heavens pause. Your actions cause the angels to take notice. The decisions you make have implications that go far beyond just here and just now. Now, I believe that this happens both communally as well as individually. And what I want to do is give you a couple examples to help you to understand the concept more. So the first one, and I could pick numerous examples from the course of uh, the time we've been here at New Community. 
One that stands out to me, and I'll just give you a couple. One that stands out to me is several years ago, about seven years ago or so, uh, there was a, a refugee that was connected to a global neighborhood. And we had started Global Neighborhood about nine years ago at the time, so it was about two years old. And we had built relationships with uh, people in the city. Former refugees had come and uh, had started living and working and uh, being a part of our community, and we had gotten to know and care and, uh, and love them. And uh, during that time, one of the men did something that in his culture was quite natural and normal, and, uh, and as he did it, the people on the receiving end of his gesture weren't as receiving. They, he didn't quite understand what was going on, but they weren't happy about it, and so they decided to press charges. Other people witnessed all of it. It was, uh, it was complete misunderstanding. That was explained to this couple, but for whatever reason, the couple decided to continue to press charges, whether it's because they didn't like that someone lived near them that was quite different than them, or whether it was fear, or whatever reason, they chose to continue to press charges. So it was on a particular Sunday we came up and we talked about the, uh, the plight of this man and how he, on, I think it was Wednesday, was going to be going in for uh, trial in the courthouse on the third floor at 1 o'clock. And uh, if any of you could be praying, uh, that would be fantastic. We'd love for you to do that. But if you had time in the middle of the day and you wanted to come show solidarity and be with someone in the midst of their difficulty, man, it'd be really cool if you showed up to the courthouse at 1 o'clock. We'll be there. A couple other people will be there. Uh, you're all invited. Okay? And it was one of those kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be great if a couple people showed up and, and sat with him? So I get there early, check in, go through the scanner, and uh, I'm kind of greeting people as they come in. Uh, and then I go back upstairs on the third floor, and I'm, you know, talking to some people that are in the courthouse and, or in the courtroom. And I just, I simply said, you know, I'm going to stand out and wait for other people to come in, and I'll usher them in. And, uh, you know, when it get, if it gets full, that'd be great. Um, and so all of a sudden, like, more and more people are coming, and more and more people are coming, and more and more people are coming, so much so that the entire courtroom was filled. And then the entire third floor of the hallway was filled and then down the stairs to the second floor, and then partway into the second floor, there was person next to person next to person, all sitting on the side of the hallway. And uh, it, at some point, must have freaked out the judge. He probably pushed some secret button that nobody knew about, and about seven policemen all came up to the third floor, kind of go, like, you know, all ready to go, like something bad's going down here. And uh, they commented afterward it's the most peaceful demonstration they've ever seen. They ne they've never seen anyone show that kind of support and love to someone that many of us had not even known or met. And in the midst of that, the judge said, okay, I'm ready to hear the case, but honestly, if you can see the support, I think the case is pretty phony anyway. And so just dismissed it and said, hey, there's like a $300 fee for us having to show up here today. You're all dismissed. We passed a little hat around him before... Uh, five minutes was up. The $300 was already given. We walked in, gave it to the judge right away, and he said, he's free to go. And it was in that moment that heaven paused. It was in that moment that the manifold wisdom of God was most evident. That you don't have a group of people doing that for someone that they don't know, and to do that in such a way that it was so startling to the judge, it was startling to the courthouse, was startling to the, the police officers, but none of that, that sold it short. It was startling to the heavens. It made it everyone 
cosmically take notice. I mean, that blows my mind. I don't know if it blows yours. A couple years later, I'll give you another story. There was a, a person on staff here, uh, and she had been on staff for about a year or so and uh, made, made some decisions and, uh, and was in a relationship outside of marriage, and it, and it wasn't the most ideal. Some decisions were made, and, uh, and she came and confessed to me that that happened and felt so uh, convicted by her decisions that she asked if she could tell the whole church and admit that this happened. And so she did. She got up front. She described it and said, hey, you know, I have decided I'm going to step down and resign from my position in light of the decision that I made. Now, typically, in those kind of situations, you can be like, hey, well, I mean, good luck. Sorry, made some poor choices. I get it. Instead, the community, in one of the most unbelievable expressions of grace, the most beautiful expression of the gospel probably I've ever seen in my life, welcomed her in deeper to the point where she lived with a family. She was in small group for the uh, next year, sharing life, being involved, plugging in, serving in other capacities. And then, after a year, went off to seminary because she had always been longing to do that. Just recently graduated from seminary, is about to get married, and it's like, man, look at the beauty of the church. It's in those moments that I think you get pause. The heavens, they hold up, they wait, they look, they go, wow. Can you believe the wisdom of God? Can you believe the way this works? A couple years ago, I went to Uganda. I told some of you this story before. I arrived on a Monday. The day before I arrived, um, government officials had done something uh, right outside of the, uh, the, the major capital city is Kampala. It's a, it's a really large city. And right off to the side of it is uh, basically these kind of squatters. Uh, there's a piece of government property. Uh, nobody had the right to it, but somebody moved there and kind of put up a little shack. And then uh, their friend moved there, and then it just started growing. And there's probably like... I don't know, three, four hundred thousand people living in this like huge encampment. And, uh, you know, they're like um, trash bags and, and sticks. And if you're lucky, you have some like corrugated metal roof, or you might have some uh, like blocks or bricks that you kind of put up. And um, th- this group kept growing and growing and growing and became a major part of the city. And uh, one of the pastors, his name is Pastor Peter. Uh, decided to build a church right in the middle of it. And so they put together um, this material, and, the, and they built a church, and, and they began worshiping out of there for years, like serving and loving the people. And one day, the day before I arrived, the government decided that they wanted the land for something else. And they uh, early in the morning, it was about 7 a.m., they pulled up. There were 12 bulldozers lined side by side. And then they had blowhorns, and they just said to everybody, you have an hour and a half to get out. Take whatever you want. Uh, This isn't your property. You're gone. And so people just started scattering, and then at the hour and a half mark, they started them all up, and they just started plowing. And they plowed for almost as far as you could see. And in the middle of that, they plowed the church. And this is Pastor Peter standing at the church. In his hand, he's collecting. He's got Bibles, pieces of Bible that he found and, and little kids' drawings and, and, and things that they had been doing in Sunday school. 
And that next Sunday after this, I gathered with Pastor Peter and the rest of the community. We sat underneath this tree with some like little chairs that we pulled out. And it was in that moment when we were worshiping, when they had tears on their face, and when they were singing with great joy, that I'm like, man, the heavens for sure are taking notice of this moment. Right? Like something beautiful is happening here that goes far beyond the city knowing about it, goes far beyond other people being aware of the kingdom being present. This is the whole angels are taking notes. They're learning. They're figuring things out. And it's pretty staggering. You see, the life of the church should make the heavens take notice. But I'm going to argue that it's also true of you individually. That not only collectively and communally that should be the case, but individually as well. I have seen in this community marriages brought back from the brink of separation. I've seen people with every right to, to leave and separate and to be done to demonstrate the deepest of love and to stick in. And when I see those moments, I go, the manifold wisdom of God. I see moms and dads reading to their kids at night and tucking them in and then praying over them a beautiful prayer, praying scripture over them, and I say, it's the manifold wisdom of God. People are taking notice. And the way we care for the earth the way we run businesses with integrity when we could certainly cut corners and find ways to make ends meet, we decide to act with integrity and honor and respect. When we wait tables with energy and friendliness, when we volunteer with kids, we hang out with people with special needs, when we counsel students at school, when we coach, when we love our neighbors, The list could go on and on. It is in the most insignificant of acts. And it's in the things that we downplay that have eternal significance. It's in the things that we seem to overlook that actually make the heavens pause. (coughs) Scriptures in Matthew 25 talk about the idea of a cup of cool water and that if you've given it to someone, it's as if you've given it to Jesus himself. Or that if you give someone a pair of clothes to wear or if, if you... Um, in, the, in the night to shine, if you've danced with someone. It's as if you've danced with Jesus. This is if you've given Jesus a hug. It's if you've spent time with him. And in those moments, I am persuaded that the heavens take notice, that the principalities of the air take pause. And I think it's in those moments where Christ realizes that his death created this most beautiful thing. What's at stake is not merely us being the light of the world, but us being the light of the cosmos. So the question is, what would that look like in your group? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for us collectively as a community? Because I believe the church still matters. You matter. It has long been an axiom of mine that the little things are infinitely the most important. 